If you would be so kind as to turn to Psalm 137. Now, before any of you start reading any of it, I have a question for you. After making a statement, all scripture, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Believest thou this? What if it's hard? What if it sounds very strange to modern ears? Will you still believe it? Because this psalm is going to be different. And I want you to see this is God's word as much as any other verse that you love, as much as any other passage. Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst of thereof. For there, they that carried us away captive required of us a song, and they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. If I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. Amen. Remember, O Lord, the children of Edom in the day of Jerusalem, who said, Raise it, raise it even to the foundation thereof. O daughter of Babylon, who art to be destroyed, happy shall he be that rewardeth thee as thou hast served us. Happy shall he be that taketh and dasheth thy little ones against the stones. Amen. This is the word of God. Yes, Plain and simple. Amen. It is just as inspired as any other passage. Right. Honestly, each and every time that I got up here to give you a psalm, I would flip through the book of Psalms looking at a passage that would strike me. That's something that I could give to you, God's people. And honestly, each time I would come across this passage and my mind would be drawn to it, I'd want to say something, but I wouldn't be ready to do it. And the Lord helped me through this. Even coming up to this, preparing for it, there are some verses in this that I will admit that I wanted to kind of gloss over because they're very difficult. They're difficult to swallow to our ears. But it's the Word of God. And I'm going to hope that I can instill in you a love for them the same way that I've learned to love them and studying them this this past couple weeks. Now, this is not a Psalm of David. This is written several centuries thereafter. This is written during the captivity of the people in Babylon, as you can see. The first couple verses give us the situation. The point of this psalm, though, is very simple, and it's powerful. What is your attitude towards the worship of God, towards his house and towards his people? Because that's exactly what this psalm is about. Now, it's it's not some great statement about God. It's not a great statement about his word. It's not a great statement of history. It's a prayer to God, a lamentation by his people. It's them speaking to God. I want you to see it that way, to understand it. Now, we see the situation established in the first three verses. People were taken away to Babylon. They were taken away captive by people who destroyed them, by people who then mocked them in their faith and requested for them to show mirth in their situation. But I'd point out to you one thing first. 
If you look at the psalm, there are two words that you will not find anywhere in the psalm. They are Israel or Judah. This psalm is not written about their response to the destruction of their nation. That's not their concern. It's not written about the destruction of their homes. It's not written about the destruction of their families, about their careers. None of those things matter to these people. What they cared about was Jerusalem and Zion. They cared about the worship of God and his people. That is their emphasis. Verse 4, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? How can we show mirth? How can we show pleasure? How can we, how can we do something like that when the Lord's house is gone? The Lord's house is destroyed. The Lord's followers are scattered or in captivity or killed. Look at their attitude. Immediately, they're consumed with heaviness, with sadness, because of the loss of their worship of God. That's significant to them. How significant would it be to us? Would we be the ones sitting there moaning, my career path just got derailed, and that house that I paid so much money for is gone, and my nation that I liked so much is gone? Would that be our concern? Or would we be the ones mourning about the loss of the house of God, the loss of the place where we could go worship him and be with his people? That was their concern. Look at their response. Look at the strength of their attitude. Now, understand, this is a psalm. A psalm is musical poetry. The people who would write such, they're poets. They're people who love music. That is where their skill is. But look at verse 5. If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. Scripturally, the right hand is the hand of power. It's the hand of might. It's the hand of strength. It's the hand of ability. Let the part of me that's supposed to be the strongest, the best, the most able. If I forget about the worship of God, if I forget about his house and his people, let it be useless. Let me be useless. Let me forget my ability to do what I can in life. Because God's more important. His worship and his place is more important than my ability to function in life. Think about the attitude involved. Let me be useless if I forget about God. Now, again, we're looking at psalmist, verse 6. If I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. They requested me a song. They requested me mirth. When I'm in this situation where I'm taken away from the house of God and his worship, my entire being as a psalmist here is to sing, is to, is to act out in worship, is to express my joy. Let me not be able to even do that ever if I forget Jerusalem, if I forget Zion. If I, pref- if I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy, if I hold anything above my love of God and his people, let me not even be able to do anything. Let me make my life entirely useless. They are consumed with the love of God and his house and his people, so much so that they are willing to wish their lives entirely empty without it. How on earth do we match up to that? I don't come anywhere close. And we have to examine each of ourselves and ask, is this our attitude? Is this what would matter to us? Brethren, these are godly people. These are people who want the Lord, who want his worship, who want his people. Look at the significance to them. Now, again, we're going to come to the, the final three verses, and these are the ones that, honestly, I asked you if you believe this is inspired because there are men who don't. There are men who would say, um, to name one, C.S. Lewis, who would say, 
Well, these are nothing more than the expressions of angry people. These are not inspired by God. This is just the sinful nature of godly people coming out, being written down in Scripture. But I remind you, all Scripture, and it's profitable. And I want to show you how even you, you have two sides of this attitude. You have the sorrow for the loss, but there is also a desire for the revenge of God on those who have hurt his people. The easiest verse to go to is, is verse 7. You have, Remember, O Lord, the children of Edom in the day of Jerusalem, who said, Raise it, raise it even to the foundations thereof. The children of Edom were the descendants of Esau, the brother of Jacob. So these were the relatives distant relatives, but still the relatives of the people of Israel. And they stood there in that day, and they mocked, and they took part in the destruction of his people. Now, if you want to know what God's attitude is to this, they're, they're crying out to God, God, remember this. Well, I'll tell you, God did remember. God recorded his remembrance very well. There is an entire book of the Bible. Obadiah is one chapter with one message. Edom, I hate you, and I will destroy you while Israel will flourish. That's the entire point of the book of Obadiah. It's beautiful. And if you want to know even further, I would tell you from Malachi 1.4, Whereas Edom saith, We are impoverished, but we will return and rebuild the desolate places. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, They will build, but I will throw down. They shall call them the border of wickedness, and the people against, the, against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. That's what the Lord thinks of those who harm his people. The Lord heard their prayer. So let me ask you, when you shudder at these words, and I'll be honest, I shudder at the words of these three verses too. They're hard to hear to a modern mind. They go against so much of the culture that we have been inculcated in that we think it's just so horrible to think about this being done to children. It's so horrible to think about someone having this kind of attitude of punishing others like that. God heard, God cared, God fulfilled. That's what God thinks of these three verses. The attitude here about just talking about the destruction of Babylon. Well, I would remind you what the martyrs are saying right now in heaven. Right now in heaven, there is a simple message coming from those martyrs. Revelation 6.10, And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, Dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? Now, in heaven, there is no sin because God doesn't allow sin in his presence. Yet we have people calling for vengeance. How dare anyone say calling for vengeance on God's enemies and those who persecute his people is sin? When these people right here forever, until the end of this world, we'll be, we'll be crying out for God's vengeance. Brethren, let me apply this to us today, because we're, we're not quite in this situation here, but there is a level of revenge that should be in our minds now, not that we would take it, but that we would ask God to bring it on those who harm his people yes, and his right. church. Yes. That applies very well to what we're learning right now. Those who would divide, those who would hurt those who would persecute those within his body based on something that God doesn't care about. What does God think about that? What is the righteous attitude? God bring vengeance on those people. Those who would cause strife among brethren. God's vengeance will come, and it's proper to expect such. Brethren, it's a difficult psalm. 
it's hard to go through. But look at the great attitude conveyed in it. When everything else is lost, when their livelihoods, their families, their nation, their homes, everything is taken away, what do they turn to when they're the people of God? Lord, we love you and we love your kingdom. We miss it. We want it back. Be with us. And Lord, judge those who harm your people. This is the attitude of godly people who seek after God. Brethren, how much does our attitude conform to it? This is the word of God, and it should be profitable for teaching us. Brethren, I hope it's taught you a little bit the way that it's taught me looking at it. Where is my attitude short of this, of these godly people crying out to God? Brethren, I hope that your attitude will, with mine, try and come a little bit closer to this godly standard.